Now, uh, we are in some deep water, uh, speaking of, you know, going places, and that is in the book of Genesis. We've started our journey through Genesis. This is part two. We're in Genesis 1, part two, Genesis 2, part 1. We'll finish up Genesis 1 tonight. And uh, this is deep stuff. This is uh, just awesome material. I said last week that if if you don't get Genesis, you won't get the rest of the Bible. Genesis is the soil out of which the rest of the Bible grows. This is the story of Jesus, and it all starts in Genesis. Jesus is all in here, and we're looking for him all in these stories. So... Let me say a prayer and we'll jump right into it. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray, God, that you would uh, take us deep into it. I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, God. Open our understanding to see the truth of it. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. All right. Now, the bottom line is this. From last week, we saw where Satan and, uh, you know, the fallen angels were already on the earth, demon spirits. When God made man, we kind of looked at that timeline and we talked about how when God made the land animals, he spoke to the land and said, let the land bring forth animals. When he made the sea creatures, he said, let the sea bring forth sea creatures. A land animal can't survive in the sea. A sea creature can't survive on the land. And when God made man, he said to himself, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Man cannot live outside of a union with God. And so we're going to see where man falls. And in that fall, the Hebrew for death means separation. Man is not going to fall over dead physically, but he is going to be separated from the union with God. So he will die when he falls, but we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves We saw where God planted a garden, placed a man, Adam and Eve. Now, when I say a man, uh, placed humanity because the first chapter is dealing with uh, Adam and Eve, male and female, created he them uh, in the garden. But then chapter 2 is going to get into some detail about that creation. We know that Adam was created first. We'll look at that. So let's pick it up in verse 26 of chapter 1. Isn't this exciting? Verse 26, then God said, first of all, it's great to see our guests in the house. I know we have some. I see you. So glad you're here. We love you so much. Yes. Awesome. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, Mm, steaks, filet mignon right there, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you it shall be for food also to every beast of the earth to every bird of the air to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life I have given every green herb for food and it was so 
Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Everybody say very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. A couple things about this. Male and female. Notice there are no other sexes, genders. Two, straight up. And I am not a hater, I'm not a homophobe, but I'll tell you this, what's happening in our world with redefining all of this can be summed up in one word, depravity. <laughs> like, that's pretty harsh. You don't hear that much anymore, Miss Cynthia. But depravity, and, and let me define that for you, moral corruption, wickedness, when I hear the word wickedness, years ago I heard this, it helped me. It's like wickered furniture. It's what's supposed to be, but it's twisted. It's wickedness, depravity, moral corruption. A synonym for depravity is perversion. Another one is deviance. Another one is degeneracy, which is interesting because we're looking at the book of Genesis. So it's like a breakdown of that is what's happening in our world today. Now, again, it's easy to get ahead of ourselves. Let me try to pace it. Before Adam and Eve could actually have this uh, take dominion, move across the earth, subdue it, they, they would fall. We're going to see that. They would fall. And so... Uh, let, let's go ahead and, and jump into chapter 2. Genesis 2 is, is giving us a summary of God's creation works and the details of the creation of Adam and Eve. So let's go ahead and jump into chapter 2, starting with verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended His work which He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Notice, God rested. Now this is the all-powerful God, and he's resting. It's not that God needed rest, like he was so tired, like, wow, that was hard. Going to take a breather now. That's not why he rested. He rested for a couple of reasons. To introduce the idea of working and then resting. And then also to introduce the idea of this day of rest pointing to Christ. In Christ, God would complete the work of what is going to be known as the new creation. And when the work was completed, we can find rest in Christ. That day of rest, that seventh day, would be blessed. It says he blessed it and sanctified it, made it holy. It says, in it God rested from all his work which he had done. There is blessing, there is holiness in Christ. All right? In Christ. Ephesians 4.24, put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. That's in Christ. Christ is our rest. Matthew 12 and verse 8 
uh, in that, Jesus said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. Hebrews 4 says that we enter into God's rest, and that would be Christ. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? I'll give you rest. Rest is found in Christ. He is the seventh day. He is our Sabbath. Now, this is a Jesus book, the Bible and Genesis, and all these stories are pointing to Jesus. We talked about that last week. We have ceased from our works to save ourselves. Here's an application. And we have entered into God's finished work, into Christ, where salvation is. Now, this gets a little confusing for people, so without belaboring the point too much, I hope, I want to make three points here regarding this. We have a tendency in religious circles to think, if Christ did it all, then I don't have to do anything. As a matter of fact, that's cliched in modern church lingo. We simply get saved or get in Christ by either believing uh, only or by uh, mysteriously, if we're God's elect, uh, Reformed theology will say that God saves us before we even knew it, before we even believed because we are the elect. But either way, with that Reformed theology or with the modern church lingo, the idea is that we don't do anything. But neither uh, of these views are accurate when looking at the gospel. So here's my first point. There is something we do with the gospel. There is something we do with the gospel. Can I get an amen? You don't know where I'm going, so you're like, oh, what do I amen that or not? Uh, of, of course we believe the gospel. Of course we believe the gospel. But we also obey the gospel. Everybody say obey. 1 Thessalonians 1.8 says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw this in our uh, Expedition Early Church. Not Expedition Early Church, but our Acts series. What was that called? Faith is Shakes. Faith is Shakes. In our Acts series, Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches the gospel in verses 14 through 36. First time the gospel is ever preached after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The apostles get it now. They're filled with the Spirit and they preach the gospel. Peter stands up with the eleven, preaches Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And, and the people are stunned by it. The Holy Spirit shakes them. They're convicted. The wording is violently agitated in their hearts at the preaching of Jesus. And they ask this question, men and brethren, what shall we do? Modern church would say, you don't have to do anything Jesus Christ did at all. Uh, you, you, you just don't have to do anything. We're so careful to, to make sure we, we say you don't have to do anything. The apostles weren't so careful. Men and brethren, what shall we do? The word do in the Greek is poeo. King James translates this as do 357 times. Peter and the other 11 apostles of the Lamb answered the question. They didn't chide the audience for asking a dumb question. They said, let me tell you what to do. Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
So I believe the do is, is misunderstood in the modern church. Now, here's my second point. Once we're in Christ, once we have believed and obeyed the gospel, we are supposed to live a life that is pleasing to our Savior. But our works, although they are good works, are not good enough to save us. Only His works are good enough to save us. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to think that our good work is greater than or equal to His magnum opus. His greatest work, His finished work. Uh, Let me put it this way. When you come to Jesus, what did you have to offer Him? Most of us, when we came to Jesus, we came knowing we had absolutely nothing to offer. We came to Jesus broken. Uh, Unless we came to Christ as as a child, uh, we, we usually, if we came as an adult, came with uber problems, right? Many, many problems. Signs, uh, Dave, on the entrance to the club that said no parfaits allowed because the parfaits were bad news, even in, in a place like that. We usually came to Jesus with absolutely no good works to offer him. Right? Am I right? We, we came with just broke and we knew it. And so we threw ourselves on the mercy of God. And we said, Lord, I have nothing to offer you. Just as I am without one plea. But, but that your blood was shed for me. I'm coming just as I am. And so, you know what he did? He saved us, right? He, he, his grace rescued us. He got a hold of us. We believe that gospel. We turned to Christ. We went down in waters of baptism. He filled us with his spirit. Like we turned to Christ. Knowing I have nothing to offer. But then we have a tendency. It's just human nature. We struggle with it. It's our flesh. Once we get saved and sanctified, start living a better life, we start thinking maybe maybe these things that I'm doing now are giving me the edge. Like I'm, I'm in like Flynn because I've been good. You know, I've been a good little boy and, and, and the, the problem with that is, you know what you, you have to offer him now that you're saved? Nothing. Our righteousness is like filthy rags when, when it comes to being saved. Here, 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 let me put it this way. To think that you not getting drunk is equal to Calvary, that's an offense to God. To, to think that you not smoking dope is equal to the shed blood of Jesus is an offense to God. To think that you not sleeping around is equal to an empty tomb and a glorified Christ is an offense to God. To think that you uh, serving the poor and, 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 and clothing the homeless is, is equal to, to uh, 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 the work of our Savior Who are you kidding? Who am I kidding when we think along those lines? That's not the way it works. We we still have nothing to offer. It's still by His grace. Amen? 
Now, here's my third point. I'm just trying to bring some balance. Uh, For the saved, listen, there are lines. There are rules. There are commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. But we don't obey them to be saved, per se. We obey them because we are saved. And, and, And here's the deal. The rules matter. But it's the cross that saves. It's the cross that saves. Are you with me? It, it get, people get confused. You got people that just like, they let down on everything. I got preacher friends, man. They fight for their right to drink and, and have, a, you know, parties and whatever. I'm talking about preachers. I, I got guys I know, and they fight for their right to, to, to live however they want to live. And there's, there's a, a, a lot of church folks that just, they just believe you can do anything you want to do, and it's okay. It ain't okay. On the other hand, there's the other side, this Pharisaical. I'm thinking that all these good works I'm doing are getting me saved. No, they're not. You deserve hell. I deserve hell. I don't deserve nothing but hell, but by the grace of God. Amen? So you got you to walk that. You have to be realistic in dealing with that. I believe in living a life of holiness. I believe in sanctifying yourself before the Lord. But, uh, but you know what? That's a response to, and it is not the reason for my salvation. Now, uh, verses 4 through 6. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb. I say herb. I know people say herb. I say herb. It's like Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass, right? Uh, It was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. This is fascinating, this idea of no rain and a mist that covers the face of the earth. Uh, But I want to move on. Verses 7 through 8. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being, a living soul, the King James says. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. We talked about this a little bit. Let's keep moving because we're going to spend some time on this entire story. Verse 9. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight And good for food, the tree of life, was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We'll talk about these trees later. We'll see them later. As a matter of fact, there's a garden and a tree of cursing and blessing in Gethsemane and the cross. We're going to see a tree in the New Jerusalem. Uh, uh, Verses 10 through 15. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is Pishon, it is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and the onyx, onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hydekel. It is the one that goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth is the Euphrates. Now, these are, are uh, you know, being uh, identified by 
I mean, the Holy Spirit is inspiring Moses to write this. But everything changed after the flood. So he's, he has a general idea of where these rivers are. But there was some shifting that took place after the flood. We're not exactly sure, but he's given us some details with uh, post-flood uh, geology and geography. Uh, verses 15 through 17, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. All right. Now, true love demands a choice. It involves a choice. The opportunity to walk away if you want to walk away. The opportunity to submit if you want to submit. I'm an advocate of free will. I believe in the power of choice. I think that was part of the dominion principle. When God said have dominion, he gave Adam the power to choose. And then he says in the day that you eat of it, implying a choice. In the day you choose to eat of it, you shall surely die. Had he chosen not to eat of it, he would have surely lived. Now, we're going to see those words soon. Uh, verses 18 through 25. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature... That was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. So we know this. He didn't like those animals, you know, like, like Eve, right? And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife. And we're not ashamed. So, let's start with Adam first, and then we'll deal with Eve. God doesn't experiment when he creates. He doesn't make like version 1, version 2, version 3. He doesn't do like a prototype. He, when he creates, he creates exactly what he intended to create, and it's perfect. It's exactly the way it's supposed to be. It's not like he, he's like us. And so we like make something and we're like, oh, it's almost just right, not quite. So we work on it some more. When God creates, he creates it to be just right. I, I knew a guy, uh, I still do, uh, but when I was growing up, I used to be around him a lot. His name's Herman Creel, great guy. I used to ask him, Brother Creel, how you doing? And his reply was always, just right, just right. That always. How you doing, Brother Creel? Just right. Just right. How you doing, Brother Donovan? Okay. <laughs> you know, sometimes. But he was always just right. When God created Adam, 
Adam was just right. In the words of Nietzsche, Adam was the ubermensch. In the words of Donovan, he was the superman. He was created perfectly. He was just the way God wanted him made. Scientists say that we use about 10% of our brain or our mind or whatever. Uh, I don't know if that's true. I've seen studies regarding that and some disputed studies on that. But we don't operate with everything. Some of us operate with more, some of us with less. But Adam functioned at 100%. God brought all the animals before him and he named all of them. His intellectual capacity was perfect. He was functioning at 100%. His physical capacity was 100%. He wasn't weak. He wasn't, uh, you know, uh, getting sick. He was exactly the way God wanted him to be. And, and, and this opens up cans of worms, like, you know, at what age of development? Well, he was a fully mature man. And I don't understand all of that, but he created him as a fully mature man, a grown man. But he was perfect. Like, he, spirit, soul, and body, he functioned uh, perfectly. He was the superman. He, God didn't mess up on him and say, well, let me start all over. Let me do a second version. Let me do Adam 2.0. He was exactly the way he was supposed to be. You get those iPhone updates or those Droid updates, you get those updates and, and, and what's it say? You're like, why am I having to update my phone again? Fix bugs. Those geniuses at these, you know, at Apple, they got bugs, right? And we, we, get, we upload or download that, that update, and we think, man, we've got it. We got it going on, but there's bugs in it. You know, phone shuts down, apps don't work, and they go back in and repro. God didn't do that with Adam. Adam was top shelf, top notch. Nothing wrong with him. He was functioning at full capacity. And then God makes him, the old King James, you got to love it, right? A help meet. Makes him a help meet. Makes him a woman. And the way he creates Eve, the way he creates Adam, is he creates him from the dust of the earth. The dust is not nothing, but it's next to nothing. He takes the dirt, he, he, you know, rolls it up. That's what I think, like Play-Doh. He rolls it up, makes a man, and breathes in him the breath, the ruach, the breath of life, God's breath, breathes into him, and he becomes a living soul. And then he makes Eve by taking a rib out of Adam and making this woman. And when Adam wakes up from this sleep that's come on him, he looks at her and he says, wow, shazam, this is awesome, me and my girl, you know, it was, it was a beautiful thing, and he said, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, Eve, and this is important, hear me, this is important, Eve came out of Adam's bloody side, there was a unity, just like there was a unity between God and Adam, there was a unity between Adam and Eve. When God created man, he said to himself, 
But we now see the details when he created Eve. Eve came out of Adam. Paul talks about this. Adam was created first and then Eve. And so you have this God, man, God, Adam, Eve. Not in a hierarchical sense per se. Not in an importance sense. But God was first. Adam was second. Eve was third. That was the order of creation. And what's uh, incredible, incredibly interesting, at least to me, is that we're going to see this in relevance to how it relates to Christ and the church. Because you see, the church is one with Christ. Are we not called the body of Christ? Eve was the body of Adam. The church is the body of Christ. When Paul was wreaking havoc on the church and God struck him down on the road to Damascus, Paul drops and says, who are you, Lord? And he says, God says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. There was a unity between Christ and and his church, and there is a unity between Adam and Eve. And oh my goodness, this, this is, I, I use that word a lot, epic. This is an epic piece of the puzzle when it comes to the book of Acts, uh, when it comes to the book of Genesis. This is an epic uh, story. This is very vital for us to understand it was a oneness between Adam and Eve in the same way that there is a oneness between Christ and his church. I'm trying to look to see how far I can get in this. Now, Adam and Eve were supposed to have kids. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill up the earth. But before they ever had the first kid, they fell. All right? Genesis 3, we'll get into that. They fell. But here's... What's interesting uh, to me, Adam, as that Superman, was to pass that on to his offspring. There would be, uh, you know, perfect children. Any of you that have kids, you know your kid ain't perfect. If you think your kid's perfect, you just take it home from the hospital and you spend one night with that kid in your house. And you're going to find out the kid ain't perfect. You spend a week with it. You spend two weeks with it. You spend a month with it. And you're going to realize my kid ain't perfect. You may wake up and say, the old Silas right there. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. You wake up and, and you, may, you might think something's wrong with my kid. You know, like there's a devil in my kid. The spawn of Satan right here, you know, like, how did this happen? Well, we know our kids aren't perfect, but Adam and Eve were supposed to have perfect kids, but they fell before they had any kids. Now, here's something I want to show you. When I was a kid, I had a neighbor. His name was Brigham Baldwin. He was my best friend way back in the day when I lived on McLeod Street in Green Acres in Bossier City. And so when I was there with old Brigham, uh, his mom was Anita, Anita Baldwin. And uh, I thought they were so cool because Anita's husband, Anita's husband was a uh, 
a drug enforcement agent in Burma. How exotic is that, right? I'm a kid, like I want to be a cop. I, like I, we play cops and robbers and all. And, and Brigham's dad is a drug enforcement agent in Burma, of all places. Burma. And I'm like, wow, that's so cool. And uh, Anita invited me to go uh, with Brigham to her parents' house in Monroe. And, and so I got to go spend a, a few days over there and ride horses. And we had such a blast. And this cool family with the drug enforcement agent, this is how cool they were. They drove a Ford Pinto right there. And ironically, I rode over in that Ford Pinto to Monroe to ride horses, like the one in the background there. And it was just, I thought, man, this is, what a cool car. My mom and dad didn't have a Ford Pinto. This is the Burmese drug enforcement agent guy's car. Like, this is an amazing car. And so we drove in the Ford Pinto over there, and, and we rode horses and stuff. I just thought, man, this is the coolest thing. Well, little did I know, not only is it cool, it's deadly, right? The Ford Pinto had a flaw, and the flaw was if you got hit from behind, if you got rear-ended, it burst into flames and burned everybody up inside. That's how cool it was. And Ford thought it was, their, their lawyers got together, their, their bean counters got together, and they calculated that it was cheaper to pay the lawsuits than to recall the car and to fix the car. If you've ever studied social deviance in college, they will bring up the Ford Pinto case because it was deviant to say, we'll let people die and shell out some money instead of spending money and fixing the car. True story right there. But Ford should have known they had a problem, could have known they had a problem in the very first Pinto they ever made because those suckers are mass-produced. And so the first one had the problem with the gas tank in the back and everyone that was mass-produced afterwards had a problem with the gas tank in the back. Now, Adam and Eve didn't have kids before the fall. Adam and Eve had kids after the fall. So the prototype got jacked up. The fall affected Adam's spirit, soul, and body. And so when he finally did have kids, Cain and Abel, Cain murdered in cold blood, beat his brother to death. With a stone. Why? It's like that Ford Pinto. Dad was jacked up. And he passed it on. Now, here's the deal. There, there's, there's a f solution. Like we talked about last week. The, the fall is epic. We're, I'm introducing the fall. The fall is epic. And, and what, I, what I hope to point out uh, next Wednesday night. Is I want to point out. I want to, I want to, I, God help me, Lord Jesus, to present this. Because none of this makes sense if we don't understand the fall. Like, like, there is a cultural Christianity that makes me sick. It is shallow, it is cultural, and it is not relationship with Jesus Christ. It's just going through motions, it's fulfilling tradition, it's 
fulfilling obligations to family. But, but all of this means nothing. It means nothing without that relationship. And we do what we do because Christ made a way. God made a way for us to be restored into fellowship. That fellowship was lost. That Ford Pinto got messed up and never got fixed. Adam got messed up, but there's a fix. There is a fix. And what, what I hope to paint next week is just how tragic the fall was. And let me go ahead and prep it and kind of tease it a little bit. Is this exciting? I hope so. I hope it's interesting at least. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Adam was not deceived by the snake. We tend to think of Adam as a doofus. Oh, dumb Adam, you know, strolling his him and his wife ain't got no clothes on, right? Just us out there in the birthday suits and snake comes in the garden and old Eve's like, I think I'll eat this because uh, the snake. And Adam's like, well, okay. And they eat it, you know, and it's just goofy. No, no, no. Well, see, in the New Testament, Eve was, was deceived, but Adam was not. And if what I'm telling you means anything, what I'm telling you is that Adam, spirit, soul, body, had nothing missing. He was firing on all cylinders. This cat had it all. He was in the image and likeness of God, the highest order of creation. As awesome as uh, Michael and, and, and Gabriel and Lucifer were, as archangels, Adam was better. I think we can prove that biblically. He was higher. I know we've been made a little lower than the angels for a little while, etc. I know that, I get that, but... He was at a height in the image and likeness of God, firing on all cylinders, spirit, soul, body, intellectually, spiritually. He had it all. And yet he chose to eat the fruit, knowing who that snake was, knowing where that snake came from, knowing that he had a mandate from God to have dominion over that snake and subdue that foul spirit. And instead of doing that, he rebelled. He chose. Here's what he did. Teasing it up. He committed high treason. Adam, in the white light of revelation, I mean, deer beget deer, fish beget fish, God had a son, as much like God as you could be, without being God. And in the white light of knowing what was up, Adam said, yeah, I think I'll change sides. It was like there was already an established confederacy of rebels cast out of heaven. Adam is in the union with God. And in a civil war, He's the Benedict Arnold. He says, I'm going to leave you, and I'm going over here. It was an epic fall. And so we'll see it. The Lord's going to say, hey, little girl, listen. The seed of the woman one day is going to crush the head 
of the serpent. And all that this cat lost. The next Adam will reclaim. And that's why when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, hey, behold, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. And that's how come if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Whoo! The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Hey, we're not just churchgoers. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. Created in righteousness and true holiness. And we walk in a relationship with God that's been restored by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Stand with me right now. I mentioned at the very beginning that we are in over our heads, right? Like, this is deep water. And, I, I, and there's some of these things I, I can't explain at all. But I know enough to know this. What God did in Christ far exceeds what Satan did in Adam. The solution, the grace, where sin hath abounded, grace hath much more abounded. The solution that God has brought about is more than enough. Because that's how my God does it, more than enough. And so whatever need you have, and whatever brokenness has been there, I know a Savior who knows how to make all things new, amen? I know a Savior who knows how, knows how to put broken things back together and restore and create a fresh Genesis week in your life and my life. He knows how to say once again, let there be and there was. He knows how to fix stuff, man. He knows how to redo things. He knows how to take, you know, God. I'm so glad that God didn't just like say, well, that's just the way it is forever. But he said, I'm going to make a way where there seems to be no way.